Well, aloha and welcome to Mission Church. So glad to see all of you here today. Um, I want to begin by just reminding you that after church today, um, everyone who comes, uh, every family, receives a mug from the church. And we just want to say thank you for being a part of our community. And um, on the mug, there's our, our website, so if you ever want to reference that. And on the back side is our mission statement, and it's to authentically love God, humbly serve one another, and intentionally share Christ. And then, well, they're, they're already washed, so when you go out into the courtyard, get one from your family. Um, you, you heard we're going to have all kinds of beverages. We're going to have shave ice out there, too. And so you can fill your cup with shave ice, and it's going to be a great day. Yeah, I, I see that hand. Amen. <laughs> well, today, I, my message, I want to begin by just sharing with you a little journey that Rochelle and I got to take this summer. We, um, we had the wonderful, wonderful privilege to go on a vacation that we had planned you know, during COVID, but it never happened. So we took it this year, and uh, we went to Rome. And uh, how many of you, just by raise of hands, been to Rome before? Yeah, I see a few of you guys. So you guys will appreciate some of the pictures that I get to show you. When you get to Rome, I hope everyone gets a chance to go. What a beautiful city, and the food is phenomenal. But when you go to Rome, there's a few places that you really, really, really got to see, right? And one of them is the Vatican. And so Rochelle and I, we got to go to the Vatican. And, um, and uh, the beautiful part of us going at this time was that they had just reopened Rome. And so there was no crowds at all. Our tour guide that took us through the Vatican said, normally from where we're standing to get in is a 45-minute wait. And we did it in 10 minutes. And it was just so wonderful. And uh, when you go into the Vatican, there's so much to see. I, in fact, I have my phone here. I'm just going to just scroll and look at all of the, show you some of the different pictures. This is, this is us with the Pope right here. And, uh, <laughs> um, but when you go to the Vatican, everybody wants to see one thing, right? And it's the Sistine Chapel. I have a picture of the Sistine Chapel. For those of you who have never entered the, uh, the Sistine Chapel in Rome, that's the backside looking towards the front when you walk in. And, and what you will see when you walk into this beautiful chapel is that every space on every wall is filled with these beautiful fresco paintings from some of the, the, the most uh, renowned uh, uh, artists from around the world, from dating way back. And, um, and, and the wall that you see on the very back side is um, the, the creation. And then on the ceiling, it's just amazing, beautiful Portraits that Michelangelo painted on one side of the wall is the life of Jesus and the other side is Moses. But whenever you walk in there, and when we went, the, the, there were sparse crowds. So most people, they try to sneak a selfie with one photo on the, on the top of the roof. You guys know which photo it is, right? It's this next one right here. It is the creation of Adam. And we kind of edited a little bit with the fig leaves over there. It's our... Our own modesty uh, there. But <laughs> this photo, <laughs> this photo is what everybody wants to take a picture of. And when normally, when the place is just filled to the brim, you're standing shoulder to shoulder. You can whip out your phone and kind of do one of these. But there was just so sparse people in there that, um, that we couldn't uh, because the guards were walking around saying, no photographo, you know, and we couldn't. So we kept our phones in our wall, uh, pockets. And, um, but this, this portrait 
uh, has so much meaning and it's so powerful. When you take a look at it, um, Michelangelo um, painted this in. He was done in, in the year 1512. And it's beautiful. It's full of meaning. You see God on the one side extending his hand and, and, and just reaching out with his finger, creating life. That's the, 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 the message of this beautiful, um, this beautiful portrait by Michelangelo. Can you go to the next slide, please? I just want to focus in on this part of the picture. You know, it's just the extension of, um, of God's hand to, to spark the life into Adam. And, uh, and this, this beautiful meaning uh, of the power of the finger of God is found all throughout the Bible, actually. If, if you guys have read the Bible, you'll know that the finger of God is referenced in many different places. In Exodus chapter 8, when, uh, when Moses was trying to lead the people out of Egypt, um, uh, all the plagues that came, in, in Exodus chapter 8, it was the power of the finger of God that brought the gnats and, and the plague of the gnats. And if you read further on into Exodus, when Moses finally does take the Israelites out of Egypt, and they land there at the base of Mount Sinai. It is the, the finger of God that inscribes the Ten Commandments. And you can read that in Exodus chapter 31. And then in Luke chapter 11, Jesus even references the finger of God. And that finger of God, he says, really brings in the presence of God and, and his power that drives out demons. And so, all throughout the Bible, the finger of God is referenced. And, and if you go back to, well, you can just take a look at this picture right here. It is the finger of God that, that creates life and brings that spark of life into Adam. And, uh, and if you don't mind, can you go back to the previous picture? Because I really want to show you um, something beautiful that uh, this picture enclo- you know, encapsulates. Here, Michelangelo, when he paints this picture, really takes into account Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And in Genesis 1, 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our own image and in our likeness. And in that passage of scripture, you see Adam mirroring the, the pose of his body and the image of his body with how God is creating him. And this passage of scripture marries that, that portrait so beautifully as Michelangelo paints this portrait of God creating man in his own image. And, and the, the image of Adam is, is mirrored in, in God's image in such a beautiful way. And I just wanted to point all of that out to you because it's so cool. And then when we talk about the creation of God, it is beautifully illustrated in, in a different way, a little bit more, uh, I would say, figuratively so that we can actually uh, see it. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. In, in Isaiah, God, God's, God's creativity and, 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 uh, and, and, and his power is beautifully captured in a way that, that the, the readers can understand. Because it is presented as God, uh, God's creative and artistic powers in, in the image of creating pottery. And so pottery was, was you know, the way they, they, they made they made little lamps and, and all kinds, you know, just like creating a mug like this. They would, they would, the potter would form the clay and, and impress upon the clay. And, and everything that the potter did would, would be, you know, 
impressed into the clay and he would create something beautiful like this. And, and so in, in Isaiah 64, 8, it says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. And I think that's a beautiful, creative, uh, descriptive way of, of looking at creation in, in, in a beautiful way, right? The potter works the clay and the imprints of the, 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 the potter's hands are in, in his clay. And so have you ever created something with your own hands that you're proud of? Have you ever made something? I mean, it could be anything, right? I mean, even dinner tonight, you're going to be chopping vegetables or whatever the case might be. By the way, college students, talking about dinner tonight, you're all invited to my house. I don't know if you've gotten the word, but Pastor Jeff put the word out. We're going to have a barbecue at my house at 4 o'clock. I have a pool, so bring your swimsuit and, 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 and we'll have uh, all kinds of uh, games, cornhole and darts and ping pong. Um, and then we'll have dinner together. So... Make sure you sign up so that I know how much food to make. I see a lot of you today. <laughs> but we, we create things all the time with our hands, right? And um, so if you come to my house, I'll show you the little doggy door I made. Um, I, I made a little uh, uh, cabinet for Rochelle because she wanted it. Um, and in my life, I got to do some really cool and amazing things in the ministry. Um, when I was a student at Point Loma, one of the first Love Works trips that, that we ever did was in 1991. And as a student, I got to travel to Russia in 1991. And I was a part of a small group that went to a town called uh, Kursk. And in that town of Kursk, they were, they were rebuilding the church that the government had torn down. And so the Christians got together and they invited us to, to work with them. And so one afternoon, I, was, I spent planing this large piece of wood that would end up being the steeple on a church. And somewhere in Kursk, Russia, in a church, there's a steeple with some of my fingerprints on it. When you start to think about it, right? And when I think about it, it's pretty cool. I also got a chance to, uh, to, to go to Kenya, Africa and work at Africa Nazarene University. And when we were there, I was relegated to the chair-making team. And we had painters and, and people who were making masonry walls. And uh, the last one was the, the welding team. And so I joined the welding team and I got there. And all we had were metal bars, these tubes of iron. And they said, we're going to make chairs with these. And so they had these wheels. And you'd stick the iron and you'd bend it to a certain angle and stick another one and you'd bend it. And we were bending iron all day long. And then they would put it all together and weld it to make these chairs that are now in the computer room at African Nazarene University. And on those chairs that those students sit on, some of my fingerprints are on them. You know? And two years ago, I got to go to the Philippines. And in the Philippines, we built playgrounds for some uh, children in the seminary and at the Shechem Children's Home. And so whenever we get the chance to, to, uh, to build things, right, to create our own things, you know, we leave our imprint behind. And fingerprints are such an amazing thing. When God created us, when God created us, He created every single individual uniquely with fingerprints. And there are no two people in this world ever created that share the same fingerprints. Not even twins have the same fingerprints. And we have a pair of twins in our church. And uh, yeah, I see you right there. You and your brother, 
different. You guys look alike, but your fingerprints are unique. <laughs> it's like, enough already, Pastor. <laughs> and so, isn't that amazing how God created us? And if, if ever I was to, uh, you know, rob a bank, let's say, and, uh, and I had my, my Mission Church mug with me, and, and I left it in the bank after I, I, I made the heist, the police would easily, right, find me. And you know why, right? Because my name's written on the bottom of it. <laughs> and my fingerprints are all over it. But isn't that amazing that God, God, God created us that way? So it made me stop to think and ask the question. You kind of heard it in the song. When God does his work, and, and, and when God touches lives, do you think that God leaves fingerprints behind? I kind of do. I kind of do. I kind of believe that when, when God's hand is on people, that we can tell. And I just want to reference you back to the chorus of the song that was so beautifully sung. Thank you, worship team. You guys, can we give them a hand? That was really, really good. And I'm not going to dare sing this because Jeff's got the golden, golden voice and <laughs> I'm going to embarrass myself. But the words are right here. I can see the fingerprints of God when I look at you. I can see the fingerprints of God and I know it's true that you are a masterpiece that all creation quietly applauds because you're covered with the fingerprints of God. Wow. Amazing words. Amazing words. This song addresses one of the most common struggles that we are facing in our world and in our nation today. We are facing an identity crisis. People are. And it's huge. And, and when we face in this identity crisis that, that we're all, that a lot of people are going through, they often ask the question, you know, really, who am I? Who are we? Who am I? And they're trying to answer that question. And, and, and the problematic thing that I see is that so many people are allowing the things of this world to define the identity of who we are. And when we allow the things of this world to impress upon us and, 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 and cause us to create our identity, who, answering, asking that question, who am I? And, and letting the world impress on us the identity of the culture, I would dare say that, that it doesn't lead to good results. It doesn't lead to good results. And, um, and, 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 and it causes great harm. And, and I'll give you a great example. The first uh, verse of the, of the song kind of it's an older song you kind of could tell right it sounds a little dated that's what the worship team said to me I was loving it but they said oh, it sounds a little dated and, and it's because that song is a little older and, and it addresses the, the, the first verse addresses something that, that I dealt with and people my age kind of dealt with back in the day 
When we compared ourselves to movie stars or supermodels or, or professional athletes, and when we compare ourselves to those images, right, we, we pale in comparison. That first verse talks about that broken heart when the person in the mirror doesn't look like the magazine. And, and, and that's a, that was a real thing back in the day. That, that you know, for, for, for young guys, you know, we would see Joe Montana or, you know, whatever super athlete was there at the time. And, and, and we emulated ourselves. We want to be just like them. But we could never measure up. We always fell short because they're professionals and, and we're not. You know, and, and, and people who, who did a lot of bodybuilding and weightlifting, what do you see on every single one of their mirrors, right? Gigantic muscle-bound people. And, and we'll, you know, I used to have that. And look at me now. <laughs> you know, I fall so short of those, those images, right? And, and it's heartbreaking when you work hard and you never measure up. And we put our identity up on the wall and we say, I want to be like that. And when we try, <laughs> we fail. We pale in comparison to, to that. And, and, and that affects us. That impacts us. Today, it's different. I don't think that the, the young people of today struggle with, you know, supermodels or, or movie stars or athletes. But, but influencers on social media, they're the ones that catch the attention. And, and, and younger generations, they want to be like that. And whenever we compare ourselves to other people, whenever we, 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 we do that, we, we always fall short. You've heard, I'm sure you've heard this before, comparison is the thief of joy. Anytime I compare myself to someone, I fall short and, and joy seeps out of me. Because we never measure up. And if it's not comparing ourselves to another better person or something like that, we have, we allow other influences to shape our identity. And if it's not someone else, then, then, then it's something else. Maybe we, 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 we allow our identity be, to be shaped by what we do, right? Or our hobbies or whatever. I'm a pastor. You're a nurse. You're a school teacher. And, and, and I want you to know something. God, God, God's identity for me is so much more than being a pastor. It's true. And God's identity for you is so much more than being a teacher or a nurse or an engineer or a school superintendent. God, there's so much more to us than what we do. Another thing that people often choose to identify with are, are the, 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 the cultural things that, that we attach ourselves to that cause so much division, right? Because we live in such a divisive cultural climate. And yet, so many people hold to these cultural affiliations of your political party. I would even throw in the, our race, our nationality, our gender. These identity things, these things that try to attach itself to our identity, they all, listen to me, they all fall short of what God would have 
for who our identity he would have us to be. Because we're more, I'm so much more than my race. I'm so much more than my gender. I'm so much more than what I do. And you know what the worst thing is about identity that we attach ourselves to? This is, this is the worst one. The worst one is when people attribute their identity to their shortcomings, to their anxieties, and to their failures. And sadly, more and more and more people are identifying with these things. And you can easily see the problem of identifying yourself with all of your failures and your shortcomings, the things that you don't like about yourself, and that's how you self-identify. Because when your identity is wrapped up in your failures, it leads to destructive outcomes, self-destructive outcomes. In America, we have a huge problem with drug use and with suicide. And this problem is a growing trend in America. Last year, I just looked this up. You can look it up if you want on Google. It's, I, when I saw this number, it was staggering. Last year, in 2020, 1.4 million people attempted suicide. 1.4 million people. The state of Hawaii has a million people. More people tried to commit suicide than there are living in Hawaii. Isn't that crazy? And 50,000 of them, just under 50,000 of them succeeded. Failed. I don't know however you want to attribute that to, but they, com- they, they, they didn't just attempt it. They, they committed suicide. Oh, just up under 50,000, which means that 132 people die every day of self-inflicted harm. And you know what the reason for that is? identity. They, they, they have lost hope. They have lost hope in who they are and the world that they're living in. And that's why I think this song that we sang and this message today is so important. And let me ask you this question today. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Church, When you look in the mirror today, what do you see? Do you see all of the glaring imperfections and failures that the world tells you is not good enough? Is that what you see? Because if you see those things, then you're allowing the world to dictate your identity. And that will lead to a life where joy is seeped out of you, where there's no hope for a better future, And your eyes are constantly fixed right here. Because all you see is your failures and your anxiety and the things that fall short. And I think there's a beautiful remedy for that. It's a simple one. It's an old hymn that we used to sing long ago. All the young people here and there, you might not hear about it, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
Because where you focus your attention matters. It matters a lot. And so, maybe, as we address this really critical issue where so many people are losing lives over, I think we can approach this by asking maybe better questions. And instead of asking the question, who are we, to try and find our identity, or who am I, maybe the question we ought to ask is, whose are we? Or whose, who, who, whose am I? And I think that when we ask that question, we can come to some really good, clear answers. Because in the end, church, you're going to serve something. You're going to serve somebody. And the people who have just given themselves over to their work or their causes or their identity, that's who they're going to serve. And that falls so short of what God would have for you. We have to ask better questions. Whose am I? And I think that generations of people today need to hear this important message that shows up all over Scripture and in the song that we sang just a moment ago. You need to hear this, that you are one of a kind, handcrafted, original masterpiece of God. When God created you, He broke the mold because there is nothing else like you in this world. You are one of a kind and you are a masterpiece. This may be the first time some people have ever heard those words enter into your ears, but it is 100% true. It's all over Scripture. When I heard that song, it mirrors the beautiful portrait of the creation of Adam. When we look at that, you go, my goodness, that is so beautiful. He painted that so wonderfully. The painting of Adam is a mirror image of God. And he's done it so well. That's the portrait of us. You know, right? Because we are created in God's image. And we are created with the fingerprints of God all over you. You are an amazing masterpiece of God's handcrafted original work. Wow! I thought I'd get a few more amens with that. (laughs) But isn't that good news, church? Far too often, people identify themselves with their failures, with their shortcomings. They identify themselves with all the negative things of this world and when you look in the mirror, you hate what you see. And if that's you, then you're, 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 you're listening to all of the wrong voices in this world. You want to hear what, what the Bible has to say about who you are? King David had it so beautiful when he wrote these words in Psalm 139.15. This is what King David said. For you created my inmost beings. You knit me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now that is a guy who feels good about himself. (laughs) 
far too few people, way too few people, can read that and say, that's me. When we ought to. Because what it says is so true. It says nothing about you, but everything about God and who He created you to be. Look at that. Let's read this passage of Scripture together. You guys ready? Let's read it out loud. Here we go. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Wow. We needed to hear that. I needed to hear that today. Because when we read this passage of Scripture, I think it helps us to refocus our attention on what we're looking at. Whether we're looking at ourselves and where we fall short, or if we're looking at God's great creation. And I think if we just gaze upward from what, we are, what we're looking at and just turn to God, I think we can, we can begin walking in a different path. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy set before him endured the cross and suffered shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and consider him who endured such operations of opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, this passage, the context of this passage really doesn't fall in line with what we're saying, but, but I love what the ending of that passage says. That when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we consider Him, we will not grow weary and lose heart. You know what the problem is? 1.4 million, 1. million people last year grew weary and lost heart. 1.4, more than the state of Hawaii, the population of the state of Hawaii. So church, if we take our eyes off of ourselves and begin more so, instead of focusing on me, oh, I'm to this or I'm to that. You fill in the blank because it's, it's your story. For me, yeah. honestly, I grew up Teeth, crooked as could be, and thank God that I was able to put on some braces to fix it up. I had terrible complexion. I, there, you know why I wear my hair like this? Because my wife likes it, number one. And because my hair is just so straight, right? It just falls straight down. I was like, all my life, oh, I wish I had body in my hair. Some people have beautiful curls, and I'm a little envious of that. But, you know, I mean, we, we, we look at ourselves. And you know, what we, you know what we find? Everything we want to change. And yet God created us so beautifully. So wonderfully. We're handcrafted. And you know what? The thing that I never see when I look at myself? I am a one-of-a-kind original. No one else is like me. Wow! I'm priceless in that way. So are you. And if I saw myself that way a little bit more, maybe I wouldn't grow weary and lose heart. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and focus in on who Jesus created us to be, we don't grow weary and lose heart. But far too many people believe the lie the devil 
is shared with us. That lie is, you know, no one will love you. Look at your failures. And, and you know what the greatest lie is? That the devil tells us that the word of God is not true. Because I'm telling you what the word of God is telling us right now. Nothing that I'm saying is my own words. I'm telling you that you are a one-of-a-kind, handcrafted masterpiece because that's what God's Word says. God knit you together in your mother's wombs. His fingerprints are all over you. And yet the devil will tell you that you're a mistake. And that you don't measure up. And you're too this or you're too that. And that's what we feel often. And that's what we believe. And it goes back to his playbook from day one in Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. After creation, what did the devil do? Come right in and start lying. Did God really say you cannot eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? Did he really say that? And if he did say that, are you really going to die? Come on. What do you, what, when you eat it, what's going to really happen? Your eyes are going to go, you mean just like God. You're not going to die. And the devil tries to warp and, and he tries to lie, 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 lie. That's his M.O. And you know what? After a while, people start believing it. And that's the scary part. The devil is a great liar. And if you think today, if you have ever thought in your life that you're ugly or you're a disappointment or you're worthless, you are believing a lie. I cannot state that more loudly or clearly. And we have to move past those lies. And somebody in this room, somebody watching online, you need to hear that you are a beautiful creation of God. You're priceless. You're a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. God broke the mold after he created you. There's no one in this world like you. You're priceless. And my prayer is that this message is a comfort to somebody in listening today. But I'm going to tell you, there's more. There's more. And the more of that is that not only are you amazing, you're beautiful, handcrafted, one-of-a-kind, original creation of God, when God enters into your heart and into your life, you become sacred. Set apart for God's use. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? And if anyone destroys that temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. Who woke up this morning and said, I am sacred today? <laughs> oh, someone did? Praise God. You know who you are. What an amazing word for us today. That we are sacred people. Set apart for God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Set apart for God's use. And you know that stern warning in there? Verse 17. It's for everyone. Look at what it says. If anyone. If anyone. And that reaches beyond our 
typical thought of this passage of Scripture. Because when we read this, we think, you know what, that's, that's, that's a message about how not to harm yourself, right? If anyone destroys God's temple, it's a, it's a word for us to, to not commit suicide, to not lose hope and commit suicide. But I will dare take this one step further and say, if anyone includes you and me as we deal with other people, if ever in our lives our words or our actions cause harm to other people, we're desecrating the sacred. Be wise and gracious with your words and your actions. Because you may never know who you come in contact with and as you speak words of hate, of resentment, of anger, any of those things that degrade and diminish others, you are destroying God's beautiful temple. And God will destroy the person that destroys his sacred temple. That's not my words. It's the words of God. So heed that great warning. Never vandalize. God's priceless work of art. No one would go into the Sistine Chapel and spray paint over the beautiful, beautiful artwork that Michelangelo and all the other artists painted. You would, that would desecrate those sacred pieces of art. Why would we do that to another human being, another person? And not even Michelangelo. Well, well he's good. God's greater and no you are that sacred piece of art. You are. Mildred, you are a one-of-a-kind, handcrafted masterpiece of God. Bob, so are you. I mean, I can look down and call each of you by name. Isaac, I mean, Greg, each of us, John, Allie, you are an amazing masterpiece of God. So let's land, let's land this ship. Let's finish this sermon, right? Church today, if you're searching still for your own identity, don't ask the question, who am I? Ask the question, whose am I? And allow not the world to dictate who you belong to. A lot of people belong to the world and they've taken on that identity. Whose are you? Are you a child of the king? Then if you know that to be true, own it. Keep it. That's yours. Let's find our identity in who God calls us to be and not listen to the lies of the devil and the voices of this world. And know that God created you, and this is what I want to finish with, that not only are his fingerprints all over you as he created you, but God is not done with you yet, Don Romero. Isn't that good to know? Pamela, you too. <laughs> God's not done with us yet. And if you allow him to, he will continue to mold and fashion and shape you, Annalise to be the young woman of God that he's always dreamed for you to be. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, 
that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's not done with me yet. And honestly, he's not done with any of us yet. If you still have breath, he still has work in you to do. Today, would you allow God to work in you? Would you believe the word of God and the truth of it and not the lies of this world? And would you allow your identity to be fashioned and shaped by who God created you to be and not what this world tries to lie to you about? There's a life that's a lot better for those 1.4 million people that tried to take their lives than they're experiencing and living now. And God forbid that anybody in this sanctuary or anybody watching online would ever feel the need to ever cut short and vandalize the great work of God in you. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, I believe this is a timely message for so many today. timely message for me. Because so often, Lord God, we fall victim to the what ifs or what could have been or what should have been. We allow the things of this world, Lord God, to shape and dictate who we are more than your word and your promise. Help us never to do that. Thank you for telling us today how precious we are in your sight. That your fingerprints are on us. And your desire is to continue to mold and shape us, Lord. Help us to be who you would have us to be. Shape me. Mold me and make me, Lord God to the man that you want me to be. May that be our prayer today. Don't remove your hand from us. May that finger of God that sparked life into Adam spark life into us. We pray today. In Jesus' name, amen.